Hi, my name is Pierre Rousier. I'm the head team physician at the University of Massachusetts um, and the director of athletic medicine. Today's AMSSM podcast will be on the care of the medically disqualified athlete. It's also known as the medical DQ. And as you're going to find out, there are many elements to the word care. First, I'd like to introduce our panelists, Jeff Smith, former head athletic trainer at the University of Massachusetts and now Senior Associate Athletic Director for Internal Operations, and Jennifer Broder, UMass Director of Sports Medicine. Jeff and Jen, please describe your roles here at UMass. Yeah, thanks, Pierre. Um, as the Senior Associate AD for Internal Operations, um, I've transitioned from the clinical side uh, into the administrative side. I oversee our student support services, so I work closely with uh, Jennifer in regards to the administrative side of sports medicine. Um, it's really allowed me to work with our student athletes in a different way, providing resources on campus and assisting them with their personal development. And as the director of sports medicine at, here at the University of Massachusetts, I oversee our full-time staff that takes care of our 21 teams here at the university. And I also provide clinical care on a day-to-day -day basis for the football team. Jeff, can you start by defining some of these terms such as redshirt, medical redshirt, medical hardship, and finally, medical disqualification, and describe their implications to an athlete's financial scholarship. Yeah, first of all, my compliance guy, AP, is going to be really pumped because I'm going to tell you that there's no such thing as a medical redshirt. Let me explain. Uh, a redshirt is a term that is used uh, for when an athlete does not play during a season. A coach just decides that they're not going to play. Maybe it's for development reasons any of those types of things. Um, a medical hardship waiver, and in terms of uh, what we're going to do with a medical hardship, uh, can be requested if someone is injured or has had an illness that ends their season. Um, if they've only played in 30% of their scheduled games and it's in the first 50% uh, of the season, they may qualify for what's called a medical hardship. Um, the big thing here is contemporaneous information by the team physician that is caring for the student-athlete. There must be documentation that states that the student-athlete will not be able to play the rest of the season. Um, so it must be documented at the time of the injury or the decision that they're not going to play anymore. Uh, and then finally, the medical disqualification, which is our, our topic today, is where a student-athlete that's on scholarship has sustained a career-ending injury or illness where they no longer can compete in their sport. Uh, the team physician documents this in a letter to the compliance office, so that the student-athlete can retain their scholarship even though that they're no longer able to compete. Thank you very much, Jeff. Jen, can you describe the interactions that you have with an athlete uh, regarding the significance of their injuries, for instance, the number of injuries, the severity, etc., and how this disqualification process in, is introduced? And then finally, tell us how they come to grips with the thought of being medically disqualified. We have a few different ways that the topic is introduced to an athlete. The first would be if someone on our staff, one of the athletic trainers here on staff or a team physician, felt that the number of injuries uh, was getting too high for that athlete to participate safely, uh, we may bring up the idea of the medical disqualification. An example of this would be someone who sustained uh, repetitive concussions within a season or someone who's had multiple ACL injuries or something where we don't feel like we can continue to allow them playing uh, in their best interest. A second option where this may come about would be a coach coming to us and saying that they've noticed that the athlete is struggling in particular 
uh, with play or they're not recovering from activity as well as they had in the past and they're concerned about their well-being. And then the third way would be an athlete coming to us to approach us about the idea of uh, possibly not playing the sport any longer because they're constantly tired or uh, the injuries are just getting to be too much for them to cope with both physically and mentally. And so that's an option there as well. So when we have those three different possibilities, we look at them with the athlete and it's a difficult situation to bring up with them. Um, sometimes the athlete just needs someone to help them make that decision and we are, are happy to do that with them as well. Um, but when we sit down and talk with the athlete, we explain the process and what they'll go through um, as they consider to think of the possibility of a disqualification. Here, can you possibly describe the types of medical problems that have led to some of our DQs over the last five years at UMass? Sure. In the past five years, well, we've had over 30 cases of medical disqualifications. Uh, seven of them were for various knee problems, such as their third ACL surgery or not recovering from a particular knee surgery. Uh, we've had five athletes um, disqualified because of repeated concussions. We've had four shoulder problems, generally failed throwers in their throwing shoulder. Um, we've had four necks and back injuries, three shin problems, including one multiple stress fractures and two failed compartment syndromes. Uh, we've had three athletes disqualified because of ongoing mental health problems. And then the other ones were a various mixture of both injuries and medical problems. So Pierre, after describing all those different types of injuries and illnesses that uh, could come about for a medical DQ, how do those meetings go? Uh, when you're sitting down with an athlete to discuss a potential disqualification? So usually the athlete comes to me and they've already, they know that something's up. They've had a discussion, as Jen mentioned, with the athletic training staff, usually with their, with their parents, um, oftentimes with the coaches, and they're, they are really feeling like something is going to be missing inside for them because they've lived for their sport. Um, <clears throat> I tell them... I want to make sure that they understand the financial implications, basically that they know that they are going to be supported financially until they get their degree, and that their family knows that as well. Um, I have them make sure that they talk to their parents. I don't want anybody to be disqualified who's not ready to be disqualified. For instance, uh, I'll give two concussion examples. I had one concussed athlete who was concussed fall of his freshman year, concussed spring of his freshman year, concussed fall of his sophomore year. Three concussions, which you wouldn't think are too many, but every time he was exposed, he had a concussion, and it took a long time for him to recover. And we just met and said, I don't think you should be playing football anymore, but, but you need to make that decision. This is not necessarily an absolute contraindication for you to play, but talk to your family. I want to make sure that you still have a good brain for the rest of your life. We're doing this because we care about you. Yet another athlete came to me, and another athlete came to me after a prolonged concussion and said, I want to be medically disqualified. Um, I don't want to play anymore. And I said, I don't want you to play now, but I don't think you're ready to be disqualified because once we medically disqualify you, your eligibility is over. You can't transfer to another school. Um, <clears throat> You can't play at a different level. So once you become disqualified, and this young man took a year away from football, 
then went back and played for us again and never was concussed again and had a very good career. So I want to make sure that they understand the implications of everything. And then finally, once they have decided that, yeah, it's right to be disqualified, I tell them that you tell your teammates that Dr. Ruzier won't let you play anymore, that you really want to play, and that that doctor is the one that won't let you play. And that takes the burden off them. And I think by making it sound that way, it's already a hard thing for them, but it really makes that transition a bit easier. So, Jeff, after that athlete medically retires, there's obviously a hole in their heart. Tell me what resources we have here at UMass to help them. Yeah, you know, it's obviously a very difficult time for that student athlete as they're adjusting to really a, a new way of life, uh, not having that scheduled uh, day in and day out uh, around practice and training and competition. And so, you know, one of the things that we're very fortunate to have is we have an athletics counselor in our uh, department, uh, Jim Helling, who uh, works with our uh, student athletes. And so we always do an assessment to make sure that uh, from the, the mental health side of things that they are plugged in and something that they, uh, you know, they can utilize those resources if they are having a hard time with that transition. Um, the thing that we have been able to put together here is something we call the Athlete Care Committee. Uh, it's a group of uh, clinicians uh, made up of uh, team physicians, uh, athletic trainers, our nutritionists, uh, our athletic counselors, and another member of our uh, psychological health center. And uh, we all sit around and, and we're able to follow these student athletes throughout uh, because we consider them more at uh, high risk. They sign on for this and we're considered their success team. So we're kind of that safety net just to make sure that we're following them and making sure they're not having any uh, uh, issues or problems. And so we're, we're a resource for them. Um, and then, you know, the, the other side of things is, is the student health, uh, student athlete development side of things and just that career planning. So we want to make sure they're plugged in and they have a plan moving forward. Um, some of the success stories that we have had, Dr. Ruzier talked about uh, concussions, and, and I actually had a hockey player when I was a clinician um, that sustained two concussions in a fairly short period of time, had not really been honest about the first one and then the symptoms he was having, and after the second one, just considered to have some uh, post-concussive symptoms and so he was never able to return to play and we tried all kinds of different things in order to get him back and he ended up having that conversation with you Dr. Ruzier that, that you just described and decided he just wasn't able to play hockey anymore but he'd been playing the sport since he was four years old and so we were able to continue to have him be a student coach and still be around the program and help out with the program every day and we also have a youth hockey program that uh, plays out of our uh, practice rink and so he was able to begin to volunteer his time and continue to have that fire and passion for this sport and help other um, you know young people in terms of their love and passion for this sport so that was really a, a, a great success story for someone you know who had to go away from the sport from a competitive side and we were able to to continue to have him be involved which was fantastic and and we have others that just you know, they don't really connect after they've had this disqualification. Um, maybe they're just having a hard time with that transition. We offer resources, but sometimes they go off on their own and, and just, you know, take care of school and graduate. And very rarely, but we've had those others that have just left school and, and they just were done and, and just went back home and then went on with their life. So uh, we do our best to keep connected with them and keep them connected to the department.
Shannon, can you describe some of the recent football disqualifications and which athletes stayed in touch, which athletes may not have? In the last few years, we've had uh, three that come to mind the most. Um, one was a disqualification for cervical spine stenosis. Uh, one is a recent one for a third ACL tear. And one was for the prolonged uh, post-concussive symptoms. So the young man with the cervical stenosis, one of the ways that he started to feel better was he started lifting a lot more and doing a lot of upper body work to strengthen his neck and his shoulders and his traps. And, and that meant that he was spending a lot of time in the weight room. And as part of um, his disqualification, he was allowed to continue to, to use the facilities here at the football stadium. And the more time he spent in the weight room, the more time he got involved with our strength coaches, and it actually has turned into a career for him. So someone who had no idea what he wanted to do or where he was headed uh, left here and went and did a graduate assistantship at an SEC uh, football program, and then from there has gone on and gotten a job in the uh, sports performance strength and conditioning field as a result. So I would say that's probably our, our biggest success story uh, with him and being staying involved. So. Uh, we have a young man this year who uh, had his third torn ACL and it kind of leaned towards maybe being done anyway before it happened, but this kind of pushed him over the edge, um, but it pushed him over the edge in a positive way. His coaches um, were very good about including him in what was going on day to day while he was recovering and wasn't practicing. And then when he decided that he was done playing, they asked him if he wanted to become a student assistant coach. Uh, so he agreed to do that, and he's been out of practice every day calling plays and, and was on the sideline of our game last Saturday and looked very official and has found his way into a field there that I think uh, will lead him to a career. And then the third uh, one that pops to mind is one of our, our shining academic stars who unfortunately uh, was disqualified due to um, concussions, but it's led him to a research career in concussions. Uh, he's a kinesiology, pre-med, bio major, and he's now spending a lot of time working with others that are dealing with post-concussive symptoms uh, and doing a lot of research. So uh, although, like Jeff said, we have those that once they're concussed, they, it's just too much for them to be around the sport that they've been playing for 15 or 18 years. They can't do it anymore. Um, we fortunately have those who are able to turn a negative into a positive. PR, a lot of these uh, screenings have also led to us doing EKG screenings. Could you talk a little bit about some of the findings that we found on those? Sure. In 2015, we started an electrocardiogram screening program knowing that we might find problems that would lead to disqualification. And actually, in our first two years, we found two cases of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, as you know, which is one of the leading causes for sudden unexplained death in athletes. And those two athletes needed, became disqualified which was really hard for them. So imagine you have no symptoms. Imagine you're gonna just go do this routine test that everybody's getting, and then somebody has a look on their face like, oh, this EKG is abnormal. You need these other tests. And these other tests then become positive. Then you have to see these other specialists, and pretty soon your career has ended, and you never had any symptoms. So when you have your second or third concussion, you kind of know that, boy, I better not have another one. After your second or third ACL tear, you hope you aren't going to have another one. But when you feel fine and you are found to have this problem, there's sometimes you could people could say, well, wow, you saved that athlete's life. Well, maybe we did, but we ended their career, which makes them sometimes feel like their life is over. So 
that becomes quite hard, and that's why the resources that we have, we really try to reach out you know, to make give them other alternatives. But that's a really difficult time for them. So, Jeff, you know, as we end this, can you tell us things that we've all learned preparing for this podcast, the podcast, and how we want to move forward here at UMass? Yeah, well, thank you for asking us to do this with you. I, I'm really excited about the, the exercise that we've gone through because I think it's actually going to help us get better here in terms of how uh, we're evaluating each of these medical disqualifications. And um, in terms of reviewing all of these cases and, and looking at what each person has gone on to do, um, we're evaluating the ways that we are going to continue to try to stay connected with these athletes after they leave the day-to-day with the team. Um, I feel we can actually do a better job of giving resources and providing opportunities within our department uh, to keep these students connected to us. And uh, I think we can also um, bring more of an emphasis to the student-athlete development side of this and really focus on that post-graduation plan that they have, whether that's you know, going on to grad school, you know, Jen talks about, you know, somebody who's looking at medical school and doing research, uh, you know, maybe it's internships, uh, you know, just like Jen mentioned in terms of, you know, someone going on to, to do something in strength and conditioning, or, you know, what is their career plan? What is uh, their plan post-graduation in order to go on to be successful? So, and then with our concussion DQs, you had mentioned that we've had five of those over the last five years. Uh, we want to make sure we're following up on the mental health aspect of their well-being and making sure they're plugged in with the resources here on campus. And so uh, we'll continue to follow those student athletes and making sure that they have the resources that they need in order to be successful. So um, we do usually follow them in uh, ACC, but like I said, some tend to, to fall off sometimes and, and uh, not necessarily follow up uh, with us as, uh, as clinicians. So again, thank you for allowing us this opportunity to, to review what we're doing and, and making us better here at the University of Massachusetts. Jen, thank you very much for your participation. And that concludes our podcast on the care of the medically disqualified athlete. Thank you for listening. The views expressed are those of the speakers alone and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the AMSSM or the University of Massachusetts.